and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading, and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for November has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5, and they really are super, super. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and do let them know that you heard all about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom. And I'm Donna Sorensen. And it's great to hear that you're better, Ian, because you've had a little bit of a tonsilly wonsilly woo. Uh, that's exactly what the doctor said I, I had. And, um, and, I, and I believe I believe him. <laughs> what kind of tonsillitis was it that you have been afflicted with the last couple of weeks? Um, it was uh, viral tonsillitis, which apparently isn't as serious, uh, serious as uh, bacterial tonsillitis. But nevertheless, my tonsils were not happy about it. No, no, it doesn't sound nice, doesn't sound good. Um, but you're feeling better now? I'm not 100%, but um, I feel much better than I did. I'm not sure how I'm going to feel after talking for what is going to be a couple of hours straight, because we are recording two shows in one go. Back to back. We're doing it back to back, um, because um, uh, in, in some kind of weird way, uh, because uh, we're actually going to be in the same place together <laughs> next again, week. Yeah, and you're going to say, be- I thought you were going to say, because Don is going on holiday again. But I would say, as I said last time, um, that we are going to be all our family contained in a very small space. Well, not a very small space, but for the number of people, um, it will be, um, yeah, Cozy. interesting. Cozy, interesting, never dull. It's not a lie on the beach kind of holiday. So I'm just going home for a few days to England and I'm very excited about it. But um, don't anyone be under any illusions that I'm having a holiday. Okay. It's going to be uh, inappropriate for podcasting. We know that. The uh, the technology and <laughs> the, the ambient sound levels just aren't there. So in actual fact, for, uh, for, for the sake of kind of sound, um, it's better for us to do it a few hundred miles away in different countries. You are making the situation sound um, in Britain a lot better than it actually is because, I mean, seriously, my, I'm going back to see my parents of um, moving back into their house that's just been renovated. Um, and they, when they went, when they got back in, they didn't have any internet. They didn't have any internet. And my mum would be on her mobile in the corner of one room upstairs. That was the only place she could stand and she wasn't allowed to look in a certain direction. And then, then she'd be able to get uh, some kind of connectivity to talk to me. But... In this day and age. God, they, sound, they were living like animals. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, if we'd been there a few weeks ago, we wouldn't have been able to do it anyway because there wouldn't have even been a connection to the outside world. No. It's uh, almost unthinkable. So we, we think it's uh, safest. We think it's the best option to uh, plough ahead and record two episodes in one go. They may be slightly shorter than normal. That's perhaps not a bad thing. So we're looking at around 40 minutes. You've got to preserve your tonsils anyway. That's true. This is actually true. And um, and we've got we've got four listeners' questions. We've got um, a whole load of different topics to talk about, and um, and and hopefully that'll be enough for us to uh, entertain. I say in inverted commas. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, have you been um, getting yourself around online since we saw you last? <laughs> I've had a little sort of... Uh, Spreading yourself about online is what I wanted to say. I had a mini kind of, a mini wheelchair made for my tonsils. 
<laughs> I just sort of pop it in the back of my throat, and the tonsils just sort of rest on either I, where 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 where, we, where you would normally have sort of bum cheek areas. That's where my tonsils were, each side, and um, and that allowed me to uh, kind of troll the internet um, safely. Great! What an image. So, but you and your tonsils have been on uh, on a blog since we saw you last. Of that's course, what yeah. I was kind of that's guessing. That's where you were going. I did. I wasn't really I... sure where you were going at all. That's why I started. <laughs> that's why I started talking about wheelchairs for tonsils. <laughs> tonsils and bottoms. Yes, great. Um, I see. So yes, no, you're right. You are right in a in an in a obscure kind of way. The the irony of uh, me being ill last week was that um, uh, it was the the very week that um, uh, an interview I did for um, a, a writer called Colleen Story, which is a great a great name for uh, someone who writes, of course. That is not her name. There's, uh, it's her name. It's, I've seen it. Colleen Story. And, uh, you know, you've heard of uh, Johnny Pencil <laughs> and um, Eric the Typewriter. Elaine Page. Nice, nice. That's, that's real. That was a real person. That's very good. Yeah, thanks. Anyway, you and Colleen Story... Um, yes, so she very kindly asked me to appear on her website and she does a series of interviews with authors and the series is called Writing and Wellness. Ha, <laughs> hey. I know, I did think it was hilarious about the timing. I thought, I thought it was so funny. And, um, and, and that went live last week whilst I was extremely unwell. Um, and, and one of the interesting things uh, about um, that, blog, that blog post, so, I, you know, of course I encourage everyone to go to Colleen's site to uh, read what I have to say about writing and wellness um, and uh, there's a link to that in the show notes which you can find at at 5by5.tv slash wfyl slash 134 and the, the great thing about it was um, the way that uh, Colleen promoted it on Twitter which is which I thought was great I don't know if you've seen this but um if if you uh, if you if you are still in the blogosphere, which I think is still the cool way to refer to it, um, <laughs> um, people these days, in order to encourage people to share, like the the link, the the the, the blog post, at the end of the post, quite often they will have constructed a tweet for you, mm. for you the reader, and and it's kind of a condensed. Um, uh, you know, condensed version of of what's in the article. So they're kind of trying to um, uh, to save you the time of uh, of recommending the article, they you know just click this button. It says something nice and pre-prepared, and it goes out. Seen it all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. Colleen didn't do that. What she's been doing is something similar, though. Instead of instead of um, instead of just saying, "Oh, come and read Ian Broom's thoughts on wellness and my blog." She's been picking different quotes out from uh, from the interview and um, and linking to it that way. And you know what she meant? When she pulled them out like that, it made it sound like I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> I kind of I kind of saw the tweets because uh, she would include me in the tweets, and um, uh, and I would read it and I would think, who said that? <laughs> that sounds like re- relatively good advice. It turns out it was me. Whilst I was well, great. You are in a in a tonsil swollen haze back then, so. Yeah, you didn't so, even recognise yourself. I didn't recognise. I could not recognise a thing. So um, that's great, though. And did she contact you about doing the blog? Yeah, yeah. Great. I'm not sure where she found me. I think either on Twitter or maybe she listens to the podcast. Um, I can't remember. I think I asked actually, but I can't remember what, the, what, what she said. 
Um, I read it, the the blog piece, um, which was great, obviously. But um, my eyes were drawn, I must admit, to the really sexy writing retreat locations that were pictured down the right-hand side. Did you notice those? Um, I didn't, actually. I was too busy reading my own brilliance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a chance to both read your bit and also to go, ooh, where is that writing retreat? Oh, Um, yeah, I can see them now. The Dragonfly Creative Retreat in Costa Rica, the Book Mama Writing Retreat in Carmel. I'm not sure I'm invited to that. Yeah. Yeah. Haven Retreats, and then there's two dogs running along. Yeah. I'm not too worried about the dogs, but the other ones I was like, ooh, cool. Imagine what you get written there. That's amazing. Probably. I can't believe that people get to go on writing retreats like that. Well, I suppose people... It's interesting, actually, you know, this is not in the notes, but it's an interesting thing, the idea of a writing retreat. Um, mm. I've never been on a writing retreat. I assume that most writing retreats involve some kind of leader figure who takes your money... For, for for one, and for two, somehow guide you or provide you with some kind of prompt mechanism to get you going. Um, and um, and and I've seen writing retreats which have been just kind of local, so you can come along for a day to like a local I don't know village hall or something like that, and they've that's that's been dubbed as a retreat of some sort. I guess I guess the word retreat in this sense just means somewhere you can go to write without any distractions from your family or anything else like that um yeah and then i've seen the ones like this where you go on to to barbados and uh and uh and uh and uh, timbuktu and brazil mm. and it sounds exotic and fantastic and, and amazing and a little bit like a holiday <laughs> but where you are doing what you love i mean i obviously it sounds absolutely amazing i think i would have guilt factor if i just said to everyone you know sorry guys sorry daughter and husband i'm actually just going off by myself to the caribbean this uh, this year on holiday because i want to do some writing but i have seen that there have been some writing competitions where the prize was a writing retreat and i think if you were to win a writing retreat then you'd feel like oh yeah you really deserve that and you wouldn't feel guilty about going i would still feel entirely guilty about it i've actually <laughs> i've actually in on, on a more realistic level certainly for me anyway um i have looked at the um arvin mm, yeah. weeks retreats um so, so for those of you who are not in the uk the in the uk we have the arvin foundation and they are a long-standing creative writing um uh, organization and they run week-long writing courses in i think four kind of big old um uh you know really sort of robust uh, looking uh, houses across the across the country um the one in yorkshire for example nearest me is um it's uh, ted hughes's old place where he used to live with i think he lived there with sylvia plath i'm not sure anyway <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't uh, mind Ted Hughes. My mum is massively against him as a human. I was going. I wasn't sure who the spit was for then, but <laughs> definitely not Sylvia. Okay, and um, carry on. So, so and so, Arvin, they do these week-long courses where you go and live there. You live in one of these houses with a with a load of other writers for a week, and then two tutors, who are usually just published authors, uh, will come and live there as well, and they will run writing workshops every day. And you just get this amazing, basically five days of fantastic community-based um, uh, writing with time to write on your own. They also do, which is the bit I'm about to, which is re- the bit that's relevant, they also do a um, 
uh, a week uh, a week long um, retreat where you don't have the tutors involved. So you can basically go and live with a load of writers, and you've got a room and a desk, and and obviously this beautiful setting, and you can do what you want. Now that sounds much more up my street and kind of what I need and where I'm at. But like you said, with with a uh, you know two young boys, and um, I mean uh, the the job thing is less of a problem because you can take time off work and. And, and all that kind of thing, but but basically th- these things cost I think four to five hundred pounds. It's really difficult. I, I think as writers, I think it's really difficult to justify what 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 will what will seem, no matter what you do or no matter how you pitch it, will always seem and kind of be a bit of a holiday because mm. you're you're still even if you're writing and working ten hour days on your not on your novel or whatever it might be. It's still a pretty amazing little <laughs> little trip. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you uh, seen Tamara Drew or ever read uh, Posey Simmons' um, comic strip that was published, I believe, in The Guardian? Tamara Drew. Did you ever see that? Nope. I have no idea what you're talking about. You don't know about Tamara Drew? It was uh, made into a film with Gemma Arterton a couple of years back, or maybe a few years back now. Uh, it's just, it's, it's very good... Um, satirical look at a writing retreat in Devon or somewhere in the south of England um, and the types of people that go to it and all the um, ridiculous nonsense that goes on there. It's entertaining. Is it a film? Yeah, well, it started as a comic strip. As I said, Posey Simmons did it for The Guardian um, and then they made it into a film. Okay. Mm. Pop it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll do that. So we, we go, wow, we've been around the world in the last few minutes, but we were... How do we get there to start with? Oh, yes, uh, writing and wellness. Yeah. Were there any enormous conclusions that you came to about um, writing and wellness in your um, piece? I don't know about enormous conclusions as such. Um, I talked a lot about the fact that things had changed for me and, um, and, uh, and you know, having children and that kind of thing. I talked a bit about the idea of chunking. I even, I even referred to the Pomodoro. <laughs> Wait. I didn't go into detail with the uh, with the uh, Pomodoro thing, but um, I talked about that. Um, talked about emotions, about the emotional side of writing and how that can be perhaps the most difficult thing. So mm-hmm. it's tr- try and be emotionally ro- robust and and objective about things. That was kind of one of the things I said. Yeah. Staying confident wherever possible. Not very easy. Not very easy at all. Um, yeah, I mean, if you listen to the podcast for any length of time, it's all the stuff I normally say, basically. But it is good, and it's a very good subject, I think, for a for a blog, because, I mean, writers in general are not normally the happiest folks. Well, also, in I think... In terms of wellness, I mean. Writing and wellness is really interesting, because if you, you, cause we all are. I mean, I'm uh, thankfully, I'm a, apart from my tonsils over the last couple of weeks, I'm a healthy, youngish man. And um, and I I appreciate that, I, and that's not me being sarcastic or my usual facetious self. I do genuinely try every day to appreciate the fact that I'm a youngish, healthy person, and I am able to write. It writing to me isn't um, um, much of a problem. Sitting down at a desk, I don't have too many problems with RSI or back trouble. I mean, I do have a bit of back trouble, but really, it's nothing. Um, but then you think about other people. Who genuinely, you know, genuinely are uh, in a position where where writing is 
incredibly difficult or sitting down mm. for any length of time causes pain. So it is, it's an inter- I think writing a wellness is an interesting subject because I think it's one of those things where everyone can answer differently. I mean, if, uh, just think of yourself there, Donna. You're uh, at the moment, I suppose, writing um, is kind of okay. Give it another five or six months. I imagine sitting down at a desk at all <laughs> mm-hmm. is going to be more tricky for you because you're you're pregnant. I, I arrived at work the other day and my desk is, is right next to my colleague's desk. And I looked at his desk and I just said to him, why is your desk so low? And then I realised that actually it wasn't. My desk was really, really high. So I have one of those jazzy desks at work that you can, you know, push the button, it goes and it lifts up. And in order to get it over my expanding belly, I realised that every few days I'm just topping it a little bit up. <laughs> and um, it's going to get to the point where I'm literally, I'm, I'm squatting on on a chair or something. I mean, it's going to be ridiculous. But at home, my desk is obviously not one of those jazzy movable ones. And yeah, it will be a challenge getting even close to that desk. <laughs> it's going to be wedged in from a distance. Yeah, it's great actually in some respects because uh, I can't do washing up. I literally, I cannot, like the sink is too far away from me <laughs> at the end, I remember last time. But um, but still, although you say that physically, I think it's good to be sitting down every so often and, and having, you know, the space to write if you're pregnant. I think mentally, um, I think I'll be even in a better place to write towards the end when I've, you know, finished work and I'm, I'm on leave and all that kind of stuff. I've talked about this before. I think it's going to be a great time, hopefully. You can always write in, write sort of uh, on the sofa or, or in bed, lying down, and you've kind of got a ready-made desk. Yeah, well, I, yeah, I have thought many times, why don't I get my laptop out more and, and get myself comfortable? I'm always, always pinned to my uh, stationary Mac. I, it's, I don't know, there's just it's so nice to look at, don't you think? Well, and I, I mean, we're going all over the place with this conversation, but um, this is how we're filling two episodes worth. We're just uh, going here, there, and everywhere. But I, I regret. The day I switched from back to, back from a laptop to a desktop computer, I re- totally regret it. I hadn't realised at all how much I wrote um, uh, on you know wherever I was or or you know. Yeah. I, I just yeah I hate the fact that my main computer, well my only computer actually uh, is um, is uh, in one place. But anyway, then we are totally off topic. And we've only oh, started. Fine. We're it's totally fine. This is what we normally do. Don't like make out like this is some kind of strange, um, unusual tangent. Someone, uh, someone uh, has ju- uh, literally just uh, sent me a text message wondering if you've got your xylophone nearby. No way. Well, of course I do. Are you saying that we're ready for listener's question? I think so. Yes. Okay. Well, there we go. Well, Would you like to ask the listeners' question? Yeah, let's do it. Let's start Number with... Number one. We have two listeners' questions, um, the first of which is us. Um, it's from a chap called Daniel, um, but his Twitter handle is A-E-C-H-E, which is kind of the noise I made uh, last week when my tonsils were throbbing. Achoo! Yeah. I couldn't know that it wasn't that loud. There's no way I could have done it at that kind of volume. <laughs> it was more like... I look at that word and that's the only way I think it can be said. I can't imagine another way to say it. Oh, do it again. I <laughs> can't. Um, any experience advice on writing MFA programmes and getting into them is Daniel's question. 
So I responded by uh, on this is on Twitter. So I responded and said uh, and said yes. Um, and it's only now that I'm realising that uh, an MFA program. I don't really know what that is because I live in the UK and over here we I think we call them MA, MA programs. So I'm not sure what the F stands for. Any idea, mm. Donna? No, but keep talking and I'll look it up. All right, you do that. So, I, but I assume it's basically a master of fine arts. Yes. Okay. Um, They're just a bit finer. Yeah. Than than our arts. Um, he doesn't specifically say writing a writing program, but let's assume that that's what he meant. Yes. Um, so I have talked in the past a number of times about the fact that I went to um, Sheffield Ham University's um, uh, MA writing course. I was on their their writing program for a year. That's the way it works. You kind of uh, you you do a year's worth of um, of kind of I guess uh, taught a taught portion of the course um, where you where you actually go in and you have a tutor and you see your group so you have a group of writers that you work with um or not work with but kind of um you know each person is working on their own thing um and 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 then you have a, a number of years to write up uh whatever it is that you've decided is going to be your main thing so for me um i did switch i started out with short stories and i and i switched to the novel um but basically Ace Frangelica started in the in the taught portion of the course, and then I had, as I think it was up to five years to write a full novel, and um, and uh, and that was that. So I I talked about all of what I've just said before, but I don't think I've talked about um, getting onto those courses on any ad- ad- advice nor experience. Um, well, I'm I'm really glad that you're going to talk about that and not what you've just been talking about because. Every time you say taught portion, <laughs> I don't know whether it's a gift to see innuendo in absolutely everything, but I just it sounds absolutely outrageous. Can I just confirm how you're spelling taught in this situation? <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't even matter. It's just distracting me so much, the fact that you've said taught portion twice that I've, I haven't even really heard anything you've said. So, <laughs> good. Let's move on to how you, how do you get into an MFA programme? What do you do? Because I can say, I can tell you what not to do because I once applied and I didn't get in. Well, tell, well let's you tell us your experience then, and I'll and I'll share a, a successful one. Very simply, I <laughs> sent us the um, the material uh, to show them what I thought was my absolute best writing um, stuff that they they didn't teach and they never had taught. You know, hang I, on. I, so I, let's go. Let's go back a second. So when you say I send them the material, what was it what was it that you sent? Well what, they asked what? they asked for a portfolio of creative writing, obviously, and they gave you different things that it could be. And they said that you could submit um children's fiction. There was nothing against it or or maybe they hadn't specifically said anything about it. And I called them and asked whether you could submit that. And you know, the, the, the admissions people said, well, yeah. But based on the fact that that wasn't any part of the course that was taught that was about that and they you know they hadn't produced any writers in that I should have realized that that wasn't their focus you know and I just, it was to me it was just such a silly thing to do you need to find a course um and in a university that that is you know excels in what you you want to do what kind of writing you want to do and that you have something that you can show them um has potential in those areas I think that's a really basic thing before you even get started it's the same thing when you're submitting to literary journals you know that you've got to send your stuff to the right kind of journal 
It sounds like uh, also similar to applying for a job. You have to, you have to, or, or doing an exam. You have to actually, or an agent, or or submitting to an agent, or submitting to a publisher. You have to give them what they ask for. You can't go, you can't go. Well, if someone asks for, um, you know, uh, fifty pages, you can't just send them a hundred because you think they, you know, they'll probably want to read more than fifty pages because this is exactly, brilliant. exactly. Um, Yes, you've got to nail it. What they ask for, that's what you're sending them. But you are surprising them with something, you know, within those boundaries that is unexpected. Okay. Obviously, amazingly unexpectedly good writing. Okay. Well, um, my experience was um, slightly different in that I was I was already at Sheffield Hallam. So when I decided to go to um, uh, that particular university for the undergraduate degree, it was with the postgraduate writing course in mind I kind of made the decision um to come to Sheffield I had I had a good sort of four-year plan I had a three-year degree but then I thought if this goes how I think it will go then I'm going to want to stay on and do the extra year um and and that's fortunately how it turned out but the, the one of the advantages of that was um the tutors already knew me they knew who I was they knew my writing they'd obviously seen my writing change and hopefully grow over those first three years and I think that probably did stand me in good stead. Um, but I still had to go through the same process as everyone else. I still had to um, send um, the equivalent of a, a portfolio of work. Um, and, uh, and and it still had to be assessed in the same way that everyone else's work had to be assessed. One of the things that um, is, is important to remember is that these these courses are really competitive now. So many people want to get on them, and uh, and it really is like uh, applying for a job. It's not like trying to find a find a, a school or or even trying to find a university where you know as long as you get your grades, you should be able to go. It's uh, it's uh, it, it should and 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 does come down to to quality. So you know you need to try and make sure that whatever you submit really is the best it can be, and and that you're really happy with it. Um, so I, I did that. I. I got together a portfolio of stuff that was uh, relevant and that I hope would get me on and um and it, and it did so um uh, uh I think the advice is really to try and well do what you said really do your research first and make sure that the course is for you i mean the, all of these MA and MFA programs they are all different and one of the crucial things is that they have obviously they have different tutors on there mm. um and these could could be a tutor that you really like, who's who's writing you, you know, whose books you buy and really like, um, or it could be that they are well known for being great tutors, or, or or whatever it may be. But you need to know all that kind of thing before you submit. You need to make sure that you you know what you're getting yourself into. Don't just think, well, all all of these programs are equal because they're not. And and I know that in the UK, I don't know about the US, but I know that in the UK. Um, different um, different u- universities um, or different programs have different kudos levels so some are more highly regarded than others um, I, at the time Hallam's had a, a well regarded course I don't know if it still does and there's any reason why it wouldn't uh, everyone knows that in the UK the University of East Anglia was the first ever course set up in the 70s and um, got a long list of um, illustrious graduates, and and that's sort of still considered the 
the best of the place to go. Um, so they're not all equal. Do your research. Check that it's right for you. Check that the, t- the tutors on there um, uh, are right for you and make sure that you've got your best possible work to send because that's what you will ultimately be judged on, how good your writing is. Um, something I wondered, because this is, this is actually quite interesting to me, that you know a lot of these courses do have people, authors, that you know what they write, you know their style, and you also know what genre they're into. And it's a bit like if you're ever submitting to a poetry competition and you know, well, because it's normally poets that judge these things if it's a poetry competition. Um, I guess it would be the same for short stories and things like that as well. But you know their work and you know what kind of poetry they like writing. So you kind of then start to think, well, is that the kind of poetry that they'd like to read? And then that will affect what you submit. And I wonder whether that's something that you should think about when you're submitting to um, an MFA or MA programme or whether you should just try to block it out and just be like true to yourself and your writing and not try to please um, the people that are going to be reading it. Yeah, def- is- definitely um, don't change your, change what you're writing based on who you're sending, you know, based on the poets that you might end up having as your tutor or anything like that. They, they, they're not, they may write in a certain way themselves, the tutors, but they're not you know they're not idiots they know they they know that there are other ways of doing things and um and yeah oh. I, it should be fine i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't necessarily worry too much about that question 2 yeah. question 2 um when i read it i wondered whether it was a new kind of um killer virus but thankfully it's not um this tweeted question is from at @clueless uh, with an underscore right in the middle. Um, and Clueless asked us, is NaMoRimo a good thing? And that's capital N-A, capital no, M-O. No, no, I was going to wait until you finished the entire question before I corrected you. There are people all over the internet listening to this right now, screaming at you for the typo. It's not your fault, it's poor Clueless's fault. He's called it uh, NaMoRimo instead of NaNoRimo, because the Na-No stands for... <laughs> oh, of course it is. I was just reading out what's on here. Yes, Nano Rimo. Well, you read it yes. out. You read it out, and I thought, well, I'll, let, I'll wait. I'll wait till you've read the question, then I'll just do the quick correction. But then you started spelling it out. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless of of uh, of the whether it's an M or an N, because it quite clearly is an N for novel. When I first saw this, because I'm not based in the UK at the moment, I did think it might be a disease. But it's um, actually National Novel Writing Month, and um, and Clues is asking if it's a good thing. We think does it? Do we use it to spur us on? What do you think would be a more useful thing to aspiring writers? So you're uh, you're talking about this in a in a way that suggests you've not heard of it before. Um. Well, when I looked it up, I was like, oh yeah, of course, of course. But I mean, it's not part of my everyday vocabulary you know i don't i i i'm quite obviously not engaged in this hey look come on i wasn't having a go i just uh <laughs> no, but i mean it's serious like i mean is this just a uk based no um, no it's it starts in the us it's been going for a few quite a few years now but it's huge is that was my point it's it's absolutely huge loads and loads and loads and loads of people do it do uh, nanowrimo and um and it's uh it's really turned into quite a, a big thing um and, and so basically the idea behind behind National Novel Writing Month, which is always, I think, November, um, um, is that people kind of 
from all walks of life, whether you're an established writer or you've never done anything before, or whether you're that person who says, oh, I've always had a novel in me, but, you know, I've never got time. It's for people to drop everything and commit to writing an entire novel in, um, um, I guess, 30 days of November. And... Um, and loads of people do it. I know people who are sort of friends in real life who have, weren't previously um, writers or anything like that who had a go and did it and, uh, and and succeeded in the sense that they had a you know sixty odd thousand words. Um, and um, and people all over the world right now are taking part and um, are writing a couple of thousand words every single day um, with the aim of having a first draft finished by. The beginning of December. Well, I'll be. I wouldn't have been able to tell you which month it was, and that uh, it, it was in more than one country. I honestly wouldn't be able to have told you that. Have you ever participated? I have never participated, but I have. I, I've also done my best to uh, not be one of those authors who kind of sits on a rooftop crowing at people attempting to do this kind of thing i have crowed previously about um uh, authors who advocated writing a novel in seven weeks which i know isn't much different but this is this is people that this is, these are people who are uh, previously and i'm sure still do are basically churning out what i would consider to be uh, poor quality novels um with the purpose of chucking them on Amazon at cheap and selling them. And uh, that's not really my idea of literature. So I've talked about that in, uh, in, in on the blog before in a way which was critical, but I'm not critical of NaNoWriMo. I think that the fundamental idea behind it, which is to get people um, interested in writing, to get them off of their backsides and really give it a go to say, you know, you may never write again, but for one month... Give it a go. See if you can write a couple of thousand words a day. Just go for it. Don't look back. Keep writing and see what you've got at the end of it. Um, I think there's also an, an acknowledgement that at the end of the month you're not going, you know, you're not going to have a publishable piece of work. But you may have the bare bones of something that might then go on to be um, something that's more significant. Yeah, so you've just broken the back of it, and I mean, I imagine that's that's the most important bit. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, it's uh, it, you know, it, it, so the, the question here from Clueless is, is NaNoWriMo a good thing? And I think it is a good thing. It's not, it's not for me, in, in, the, in the sense that it's not, it's not something that I'm going to do. But I think as something that exists and that's caught on so, so much, and that so many people do, it has to be a good thing. The more people writing, the better. It's just a good thing to happen. Do hmm. you, the other question, do you use it to spur you on? Um, and what do you think would be more useful to aspiring writers? Um, well, I don't use it to spur me on, so the answer is no to that. What do you think would be more useful to aspiring writers? I think there's a, there's a kind of an implied sense of uh, of, of maybe maybe clueless <laughs> thought that I would look would, would frown upon NaNoWriMo. but um, I don't know what would be more useful to aspiring writers. I think I think what people would say to aspiring writers. Uh, is to to write, you know, to just give it a go and and start off and 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 you know whatever idea you have, just start getting some stuff down. So I suppose if the, if you have a dedicated month for doing that, um, 
I think it's a, that's a pretty useful thing. I'm not sure I do have a particularly uh, more useful more useful advice, so long as people do it in the knowledge that they're not going to have a finished piece of work at the end of it and that they're going to have to go on and really work to edit it and add to it and cut things, all that kind of thing. That's the main, that's the main thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've kind of done my own little uh, NaNoWriMo, as I said, when I... Um... Yours, be, uh, yours be Napo, Napo Rimo. <laughs> no, when I go on maternity leave, yeah. And uh, it's it's going to be a month. I'm not expecting to to finish something but just to have that extended period I think is fantastic and that's not something that people have with NaNoWriMo presumably because they're working and doing other things side by the side of it so oh yeah well to loop us back to what's what was accidentally the main thing we talked about writing retreats um, it's the same sort of principle isn't it it's the kind of mm. it's that uh, I mean people who don't do NaNoWriMo I think the majority I don't think people take a month off work or anything like that I think people just decide that they're going to fit it in around their other um, life events. Um, but the principle is the same. The mental kind of approach is is the same. It's where you say, okay, for this, if you're on a writing retreat, five days, I'm going to be in this place and I'm going to focus on my writing. Everything else is out of the window. I'm not even going to think about home. I'm going to live here and it's going to be fantastic and I'm going to write. I think ultimately NaNoWriMo is the same principle. It's just for people who want to create some mental space and and get on with the physical act of of writing a book and try and do it all in one month it's kind of it's it's quite easy it's 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 kind of the ultimate daily deadline isn't it if you if you decided you're going to get it done by the end of the month then it's it's that mental approach of saying right well that's what i'm going to do it gives you it gives you a certain determination that you can't necessarily force upon yourself if you be, if you say well you know hopefully i'll write a book one day mm, yeah absolutely um would you take part in the future i don't think so i don't think so i just don't think it's my kind of i don't think i write in that way i'm not i you know i i i like to edit as i go too much i i don't have things planned out in the way that I think that you perhaps would need to if you were going to write two thousand words a day and not stop. Um, I just, I just, I don't think it works. I don't think that approach works for me necessarily. And let's be honest, the rate of book releases <laughs> um, would echo that. Yeah, yeah, quite. Well, there we go. I think we've uh, we've done our bit to answer our two listeners' questions this week. We have. Is it? We've got a whole giant list of things that we were going to talk about, and I thought we weren't going to be able to talk about them over two episodes, and we said we were going to try and get this a little bit shorter. So we're coming towards the end. Shall yeah. we squeeze one more thing in? Oh, way, hey, hey. I've got to stop with the innuendos. I've got, a, I've, got, <laughs> I've got two small things here that I could oh, perhaps squeeze. Hang on a minute. No, I'm... I, no. One thing, Maybe I'll one. just squeeze, just squeeze one. one. For goodness sakes. Just squeeze one thing in. I thought, I, well, I, I, it's something that I noticed today, which I thought was uh, mildly amusing. Um, and slightly depressing, I suppose. Um, I was, you know, just just my usual kind of daily routine. I was looking at my novel, Lays for Angelica, on Amazon, just checking the page, checking to see if there were any more reviews, that kind of thing, looking to see if the... Uh, price had been fiddled with by anyone 
And um, as I was there, I noticed, and this is the first time this has happened, that under this book is frequently bought with, um, there was uh, Ian Brumace, Frangelica on the left, and then right next to it there was The Book Thief by Marcus... Uh, oh, I can never pronounce it. How do you pronounce his surname? Zuzak? Ooh, I mean, if, yeah, Zuchak, I would go for. Okay, Zuchak. Uh, that, that's a guess. It's a wild stab in the dark. So I thought, well, that's interesting that people frequently, frequently, people frequently buy The Book Thief, which is one of the biggest bestsellers of the last 10 years, as I understand it, sold millions of copies, millions and millions of copies, like 3 billion copies, I think it sold. And uh, and then A's for Angelica by Ian Broom, frequently bought together, frequently. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know what... I don't know if I've fully understood the definition for the word frequently. So I looked well, it up. What does it mean? Do, oh, go on then. Go I on. looked it up. The de- definition of frequent... Um, uh, or I guess these must be uh, synonyms that they, that, that were presented to me, um, is often and habitually. So, yeah. hab- But they're just, they're, they're just looking for patterns in people that buy your book, and obviously it's going to be more likely that people that buy your book, the thing they have in common is a massive bestseller like The Book Thief. I mean, that's, that's, and that's, that shows you what kind of people are reading your book because it's not like being frequently bought with, you know... Um, Love in the Fields by Barbara Cartland or whatever it's called. <laughs> All I'm saying is my bank balance does not fully match up with the concept that my book is frequently bought with The Book Thief. No, but it's the word... It, I thought I just explained it. Did I not just explain that to you? You may have explained it, and I'm perfectly happy with your explanation, but I think that Amazon's algorithms are misrepresenting <laughs> the truth in this particular instance. Well, it's, it's marketing, isn't it? I mean, that's just... Uh, they're, they're saying frequently bought with... That's that's the most frequent connection that they have to buyers of your book, and another book is The Book Thief. Yeah, well, I find that hard to believe. <laughs> that's all I'm saying. Really? Uh, yeah, I, I probably know why it's... Do you want to know why I think it's probably the case? Possibly the case? Why? Uh, because when I won the Coventry Award last year... Uh, this year, actually. God, since I don't know if you could about four months ago. Uh, I won that award thing, didn't I? For word of mouth, best word of mouth book in Coventry uh, here in the UK. And um, I won, and uh, uh, look who was in second place. It was old Marcus with The Book Thief. Trounced him into second position. And um, and I'm suspicious that somewhere somewhere in the Google sphere slash Amazonosphere uh, that uh, some SEO is going on that's linked to the two things and said, well, people probably frequently buy those two things together. Mm-hmm. Imagine, yes, imagine if they did that. Imagine if everyone's, every time someone bought Marcus Suzak's The Book Thief that they habitually, often, frequently bought my book. My life would be different. It would be, yeah. You should tweet that. Did I, you know? I, I, don't worry, I've already been... Are you, are you a buyer of... No, I'm, I've been <laughs> I mean, whinging about this all on Twitter. Have you bought this then? Amazon thinks that you should buy this. Yeah. Anyway, that was just a, a little titbit for the end of the podcast. Indeed. Great. Well, um, I should just finish off by saying where you can find me on Twitter, at The Flying Poet. You're always welcome to tweet questions or comments at me as well, as yourself, Ian. What's that? 
your Twitter handle? Uh, Ian Broom, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E. You can also send emails if you want. You can send an email to uh, ian at rightforyourlife.net and I will make sure that Donna gets a good look-see at that. Thank you very much, yeah. Um, I saw that I had five people look at my uh, my poetry page on Facebook today and I thought, Why? <laughs> <laughs> No, but, you know, it's just like the same thing with you're saying here with Amazon. It's like, what what has happened that five people in one day have looked at my um, my poetry page on Facebook, which is Donna Sorensen Poetry on Facebook, by the way? Uh, I don't know. Weird, eh? Yeah, cool. Well, anyway, we shall see you next week in a minute for us, but we'll see you next week. We will. Farewell. Bye. <laughs>